Welcome to the Lisa Burke Show with Auntie Pizza. I can't hear myself. Hello and welcome to the Lisa Burke Show where this week I will be sharing with you some of the interviews that I conducted at the ICT Spring 2022 at Lux Expo The Box in Luxembourg City, Kirschberg in Luxembourg City, where I really got to meet the most amazing people in the world of fintech, technology, IoT, futurists. We talk about the metaverse, embedded finance. We talk about the future of the world as well. So many diverse conversations and here follows just a few of them. I hope you enjoy them. Hello, welcome back to our TV show here at ICT Spring. A delight to introduce you to two guests. Uh, Steve, thank you for staying with us. Steve, again, just to reintroduce you, Steve Whiting from West London, who yesterday spoke about Embedded Finance, your Head of Payments Technology at Soldo. And it's wonderful to have you with us as well, Mike Witcher. I know that many people will know you. Editor-at-large for TechCrunch, co-founder of Pathfinder, the Europa's Award, Tech for UK, TechFets, so many things. I mean, I'm not going to list them because... I'm, I'm, I have attention deficit disorder, so I, uh, I, I have to, I have to keep, keep lots of plates spinning in the air. I, do you know what I loved? When I was looking at your website, I loved the fact that you have your bio in uh, 55 words, 97 words, 217 words, 515 words. You have literally got on your website everything that anyone would need for access to you. I, uh, I, I do a, a, a lot of public speaking at conferences and MC, and the, all these conference organizers always wa want your bio in 250 words exactly or less or something like that. So I just thought I wrote, rewrote them that way. I, I really love it. And I love the fact that um, you also have your photos in various uh, you know, <laughs> formats as well. You've that got to is think needed. of everything. Now, this is going to be a very organic and fluid conversation, like we were saying earlier. Uh, but you did actually speak yesterday about the metaverse. It's been a hot topic here at ICT Spring. So give us a little rundown. Give us a little summary of what you were speaking about. Yes, thanks. Uh, yeah, I spoke to yesterday about uh, the metaverse or the me metaverses. Because in fact, there's something like 500 companies now trying to build a metaverse or work on a lot, one of the larger ones that's going on, such as Horizon Worlds, which Facebook is building. Um, and then there's others like, which are more uh, oriented towards cryptocurrencies, such as Decentraland uh, and the Sandbox. And what I was trying to do yesterday was give people a kind of a, an independent overview of what is going on with these this kind of new concept. Um, the idea is that really this is the, going to be the next interface. We've had the PC-based internet, we've had the smartphone-based internet, we even have smart watches now, and you know, and video game platforms. So what's the next interface to all of this stuff? And that's what the the metaverse is supposed to be. Is it and it and it will largely speaking, it's about it's a blend between the built environment, the real world environment and internet content as that we all know and love. But it, um, so it's going to be probably full immersive, VR, uh, haptics, things you can feel, things you can touch, um, and uh, also blended all the way back to real life with things like augmented reality, interfaces over glasses, which supposedly Apple is looking at bringing out next year. Uh, but it's, it's very early days, and I think that people, anyone who tells you that the metaverse is about to arrive is kind of wrong. I think it's going to take a lot longer than we think. Well, it's already here in some places. Some Asian countries are already using it, and we've had conversations earlier today where it's used in university learning. And I know that you've been researching a little bit about the future of work, and there's so many workplaces. We also had Accenture who said they use it for onboarding their new employees. So. It is actually already here. Well, it, I think it is, if you think about it, if you just define it narrow, narrowly in terms of, say, a 3D VR environment, that's obviously being done as well. And actually, funny you should mention that, but uh, enterprises and b businesses are using it far more than consumers are right now. Because, for instance, BMW is building an entire factory in a metaverse environment, so it can see how workers would use uh, robots or how the workers would build a car 
Um, this called digital twinning um, is very, very big and has enormous implications for, for building things. But the um, but yeah, the widespread sort of consumer metaverse is still in its infancy. Roblox, for instance, only ha has 55 million users and it's really considered a, a, a game, but 55 million is, in the scheme of things is not really that big um, in, in, in the internet world. Uh, so getting to the scale of say a billion users, two billion, that's when things are really gonna start getting interesting. We're very sensitive about numbers when it comes to Luxembourg because we're very conscious of our size as a population here. But interesting you talk about digital twinning because right behind us here at LIST, the Luxembourg Institute of Science and Technology, they've built a digital twin of various things, including part of Luxembourg as well. So it is something that we hear about a lot. And of course, it makes perfect sense because it's much easier thinking about the BMW garage to move certain objects in the metaverse than it would be in real life. Much cheaper as well. And speaking about costs and things, I want to move to your work, Steve, to tell us a bit about the work that you do for people who don't understand the concept of the work that you do with always the customer and what the customer needs as the vision. Well, it's kind of a, a, a broad topic. We, we, we're a, a fintech, a financial technology company, and, and we started around about 2014, 2015. And that was to take a real world and, and present opportunity to mix the world of internet technology, internet methodologies, internet solutions, cent customer-centric thinking. And in those, in, the, in those early days, seven or eight years ago of FinTech, that's when people started talking about minimum viable products and to be using the internet to do things with finance. So to me, FinTech, yes, technology has been used in banking for a long time, but FinTech started in 2015, around about, because that's internet technology, social media experiences, with finance, and so if you can have, for example, a, a photo being liked and they're all the associated social media making trillion dollar businesses, what happens when you can put people's finance, their money, into the same mix? Um, so we were really focused on automating the spend management of businesses. So we took a real problem, a real world problem, and that's the problem we solved, the organizational access to company money. And that means we've, but basically replaced manual processes. We've replaced spreadsheets and bits of paper. And that's a, a very rewarding thing to do. It builds a, it builds a viable company. We've, we've, we've been through to Series C of funding. We've got 350 very bright people really passionately working on the product and, and the business every day. Um, and we're also very conscious of the fact that we're part of this shift from the old world to the new world. So my, my thoughts about the, the metaverse is that, yes, maybe it's here because that's a word that's used for the things that we're seeing, but this is the, the shift that we've never seen in our history before. It's seismic, it's a, it's a total shift, and we're at the very beginning of that, that change. I think what, uh, what you're referring to is uh, the blending of, uh, of, of or the, the, the rise of fintech as a consumer experience. Um, this, the, the newest wave of that right now is something called embedded finance, where finance is where you, meets you where you are at that point in time. And it's so interesting because um, these new VR worlds uh, of 3D spaces like uh, which people are referring to as metaverses are also embedding finance, financial products in them. You can now get a mortgage in a metaverse environment, bizarrely, as if you would need one, but apparently you do. Uh, if you buy a property in Decentraland, somebody bought a property in Decentraland next to Snoop Dogg's uh, a mansion, uh, in Decentraland. Uh, was it for, cheaper than it would be in the real world? No, it wasn't. It wasn't really cheap. It was $750,000. So they own a sort of a digital property next to the rapper Snoop Dogg for, for 750 grand. Perhaps they, needed a, perhaps they do need a mortgage for that, uh, oddly enough. So there, there are all sorts of strange things are happening. So the, uh, the kinds of products, the, the uh, financial products that we're used to using on our smartphones or on the web, are also going to be transferring over to uh, metaverse environments um, and perhaps in, in, in new kinds of financial products as well that we haven't invented yet. So it's very early days and it's going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, well, in sorry, fact, listen, yesterday uh, uh, you were talking about embedded finance, which is precisely this, Steve, so carry on. Yeah, yeah it, and I think that's the, that's the thing. It's, it's, this is a completely new way of living. It's a, it, there's nothing really comparable. It's like saying you're buying the mortgage and you get the house for free. This is the kind of concept. So you see now where, where, where money, where finance, where payments has been 
essentially the exchange of energy. So in the past, it would be you put your energy into something and you create something. Well, you can barter that thing or you can turn it into something else, which is a store of value. And then when you have a store of value, you need a method to change that into something else. And so you have payments. And that's been payments all the way until today. When we go into the metaverse and then we start changing the way people interact and the, and the interactions they have with their financial products, their financial well-being, their, 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 their stored value, that's why we have a different method of transferring one, one value from one place to another. Yeah, and uh, talk about store of value. And I mean, I think this is where it's quite interesting to see what's happened with cryptocurrency in the last 10 years, for instance. Uh, gradually, people have uh, started to uh, use cryptocurrency as a sort of a method of buying into somebody. Um, there was a concept in, in sci-fi uh, many years ago, called, years ago called Wuffy, which was basically you shake somebody's hand and you transfer your uh, approval rating to them in a way you know in the same way like you on LinkedIn you give somebody a, a, a better rating or something so with cryptocurrency you can start buying into people buying into projects and that means uh, that's a, a new a new way of thinking about uh, about how we you know we transact uh, between each other as humans uh, so it's uh, and, and this is also going to be going into metaverses already going into metaverses as we speak yeah, and then I just want to kind of reflect on your career because you've been, a, you know, a, a journalist. You've been in this tech world all of your life, in fact. So you must have seen a lot of step changes. It sounds to me like the metaverse is going to be another step change, quite a revolutionary one. But can you talk us through your experience of what you've observed, if you're like a, a fly on the wall looking in from the outside at that lens of time and tell us about the step changes that you've seen. Well, of course, uh, I haven't always been a journalist. There was a time when I was a grunge rock drummer, uh, which was a lot Ooh, of fun. I um, didn't see that on your CV. <laughs> I should have I mentioned it on my that. bio. Yes, um, but, the 50 uh, word one. That was, a, that was a great band, the Pleasure Heads. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been covering uh, tech since uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the launch of the internal combustion engine. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> No, but, but I mean, back in the 90s, I was an editor, editor of a magazine um, in London, and the internet, it was the first internet magazine for a, every week, as a weekly business magazine about the internet. And then we, ha we had to run that on old-fashioned modems, you know, that would like make funny clicking noises as you dialed up. Um, and so... And, and the keypad probably made lots of noises exactly, as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So... So it's it's been a you know it's a pretty, pretty interesting ride, and I think that the uh, you know so we were waiting for the first you know websites. All you could do is like click links and like do email. That's basically all you could do. The really transformational thing that happened to the internet uh, was about 20 years ago, roughly, when around about 2004, 2005, people started talking about the internet as a place where you could run applications, use it using it like an operating system. That was what gave rise to that. The, the phrase that some, some people are still familiar with called Web 2.0 to Web 2.0. Um, and now we're talking about Web 3. Web 3 is being uh, blockchain technologies. So this protocol layer over the internet. Um, but I think the step changes I've seen over the years have been the, the invention of the iPhone was completely unbelievably revolutionary up until then really do you remember the day do you remember what you were doing on the day i i remember exactly what i was doing i on the bet day you did because i was trying to look at twitter during the launch of the iphone while i was driving my car you terrible London. criminal incredibly dangerous and i got a speeding ticket well well deserved <laughs> that that's i got i was 30 35 miles over I was about doing about 40 miles an hour in a 30-mile zone you, you, you in were, London. You were not 35 miles over. No, 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 not 35 miles over, 10 miles over the speed limit. And um, I was looking at Twitter, trying to work out what was going on, the, on <laughs> with the launch of the iPhone while I was driving. Uh, and I got a flash and I got a speeding ticket. So I remember, distinctly remember that day. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it was revolutionary, wasn't it? Up until that point, mobile phones had really just been flat screens where you would literally browse the web, maybe check email. And so when smartphone applications came along in the way that uh, Steve Jobs envisaged it, it really was unbelievably revolutionary. And that, that we haven't really seen anything nearly as revolutionary as that since then, perhaps other than, say, maybe the invention of Bitcoin was, uh, in 2009, which is very, un very, very unusual, and the effects of that are still playing out. But, um, 
but you know, uh, what we're, I said earlier that um, metaverse is, I think, only going to start getting real properly, I think, in the next few years. That at the moment, we're, there, we're still sort of stumbling around. The step change, I think, will be the invention of a hardware which can operate as augmented reality. So literally being able to see uh, digital Im images, say, looking at you, seeing your name, your LinkedIn pop up, your Facebook, your Instagram logo peer above your head through my glasses. That would be revolutionary. Very hard to do, but I'm waiting for that to happen. But bits of that technology have been invented and have been around, but haven't yet worked. So there are some technologies that have been thought about, have been dabbled with, so either they're hitting the market at the wrong time, or it's not good enough, or it's literally a non-uptake event. I'm sure you've seen that happen too. Oh yeah, you see lots of technologies kind of fall flat on their on their face. Um, and it, I mean, it, it, in a way, for a long time, we didn't really think that um, video, social social video, would be that interesting. Um, I remember David Beckham tried to do launch a an app an app in, in his own right, uh, which where you would live stream content from your phone. Uh, or video content that from your phone. That completely bypassed me. And I don't have any recollection of this. No, no, it, it fell flat on its face. David Beckham invested in this startup, British startup, and it went nowhere, absolutely nowhere. Which so, year was this? This is about 10 years ago. Um, and I'll, I'll go and find the link for you later on, if you like. Um, he launched it by you know, gunning his motorcycle and streaming live video content of himself riding his motorbike. It went nowhere, absolutely nowhere. So. It, but it, sometimes the people are ready for these new technologies and sometimes they're not. And of course, now we have TikTok, uh, now we have I Instagram, video on Instagram, now it's mainstream, but it took, that took 10 years really to, to get going. Well, that brings me back to your world of fintech and finance. And actually, it really triggered in my mind when you said that fintech has really only been around since 2015, because that feels pretty recent, but then again, sometimes technology is just racing so fast and so many things change. But you also said actually, Steve, that in fact, your world of FinTech, you were working in it and doing it before it was called financial technology. So a lot of these technologies just get a name many years after they've been carrying on. Yeah, I think that there's a, a lot of change that's happened and there's been some uh, fundamental changes in technology that aren't necessarily um, surfaced on a social level, you know, if you look at the real shifts in technology was the first te the internet protocols and then after that was say XML and after that was APIs. All these things are not necessarily exciting to talk about but they were the shifts that enabled things then to become social. Social media was one of the biggest phenomena that really changed this and having smartphones and the iPhone that enabled everyone to start integrating and working together. The first apps that were, were, were popular on, on an iPhone was, um, it was Angry Birds and after this on Facebook was Farmville but now people are managing their lives and their financial lives and then going into Web3 we have the opportunity to utilize the new technologies and, and, and enjoy them it's not just for gaming, it's for social interaction, but also it needs to be carefully managed. Is it going to be uh, regulated? Is it going to be engineered? Or is it just going to evolve on its own? And, that, and I think uh, people are managing their lives through, via their phones and iPads and, and what have you as well. And I think also there's, uh, you know, governments are now using uh, technology to interface with the, the citizenry, uh, the citizen population. Now, so now in, you know, in Estonia, for instance, famously, you pay all your taxes online, your, uh, you vote, you can even vote online in Estonia. Um, similarly, in the UK, there has a, been an enormous shift uh, to get people to use government services via the internet almost exclusively. You pay your car tax online, you pay parking fines online, etc., etc. Um, you pay your council tax. Um, but there's also a, a, a problem because a lot of people are being left behind now. Um, the shift towards digital technologies do have impl implications for people who don't have bank accounts or don't, or uh, still, uh, you know, perhaps elderly population that have less uh, capability. 
Um, and I don't think that people are thinking about that really nearly quite enough at the moment. In the UK, there's a lot of controversy about uh, the government shifting a lot of uh, uh, services online and, uh, and about what's going to happen. It's going to leave people behind. So uh, we do have to think about this. We, in a way, we should have sort of like old-fashioned, uh, you know, um, you remember there used to, used to be uh, internet cafes. You must have like need, need to have internet cafes for government services now. We could have somebody with a help desk. Yes, can I help you fill that in or something like that? Actually, there is something like this in Luxembourg where younger people help older people to understand certain things. It's a voluntary thing, but it's a, a really important organization. And I'm so happy that somebody of your caliber and your technological mind is noticing that and speaking about that and speaking out about that because you know you're all the early adapters you're all the people who are right at that cutting edge interface of developing these technologies but to also be very conscious of the other side of that graph who are not you and not living in that world the, you know, the vocabulary that you're using even, some of the words you're using here, they would have no idea what you're talking about. No, exactly. And I think it would be great if, uh, uh, I think something that it, it probably it's a, a governmental level uh, sh uh, people should be doing. Um, one of the problems with the internet technology, the technology industry, is we are so go-ahead, we're so sort of future thinking that we often, we often leave, forget who we might be leaving behind by these things and so it's worth thinking about and and I think uh, I think uh, uh, we uh, you know you create more access to this stuff if you do explain it you know in in simpler terms for people but earlier today we were talking uh, Steve about the wonderful value that uh, financial technology has allowed certain parts of the world to overcome the fact that they may not have a bank account, but things can be directed to their phone because there's such a great uptake of phones in the world. African countries, Indian uh, people as well, for example, and how people can transfer money to their bank accounts. So would you like to speak to the good that fintech has done in the world? Yeah, I think I, I, first I'd go back to the point about the generational change because I, right now we're, we really face that, that challenge that a lot of technology is created by the tech community, by technical people, and isn't necessarily um, made to be usable by somebody who's not technical. And that's just a, a very present problem that is being addressed, uh, I see, in Luxembourg um, by the younger people helping the elderly, but also by people being made more aware on, on the product level. In terms of the, the, the differences on a, a, a geographical or geo level, I think that um, it, it used to be that emerging technologies would be suffering from having uh, less, ac less access to infrastructure and to technology, but that's not necessarily seem to be true today. Um, the, the mobile phone has jumped, leapfrogged some legacy infrastructures, enabled more innovation and more social inclusion than we may be seeing here in, in Luxembourg or in Europe. So it's not necessarily a problem, it's just something that needs to be consciously addressed when designing new, new products and creating new businesses. There is, it is exciting though, if you think about it, that you know, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, the, just about the, the, the fastest internet you could get on a mobile phone was uh, known as 3G. And then when 4G came along, everyone was like, well, this is really amazing, you know, it's so much faster. But 5G is just, astoundingly great and obviously it's not necessarily everywhere uh, but it is obviously percolating through lots of mobile networks now they're talking about 6g being even faster than you know, a home broadband and that's going to that is going to be pretty radical um, and these mobile networks are transformational in developing countries such as in sub-saharan africa uh, now you uh, uh, things like um, uh, vaccines and uh, drugs are delivered by drone, for instance, using uh, 4 and 5G technologies. Uh, so uh, it, it it really is a, it gets it gets a company uh, sorry country can almost leapfrog into the future using mobile tech, new, new mobile telecoms uh, you know in in the way that it's envisaged at the moment and in the future. And the applications are so vast, it's hard for us to even consider them. Again, at LIST, they recently had a tech day where one of their departments is working with, actually, it's the 6G department, but they're working with 5G because, you know, you say it's not deployed everywhere. But one of the examples is that they use drones 
to think about where pesticides should be allocated, how much and where not, so they can be very specific in the allocation. And the world of 5G, just 5G, well, then, and then, then, of course, you've got Starlink, which uh, Elon Musk um, created, which is uh, being deployed in Ukraine right now and is keeping the Ukrainian government running, keeping its, its forces uh, running in that, in that conflict. Um, and so Starlink uh, is, you know, very, very transformational because it makes you completely independent of even of the infrastructure of the, of the a government, oddly enough, uh, because you're going straight up to a satellite. Yeah. So it's, that's, that's going to be super transformational as well. Well, I think that, that neatly comes on to the, the point that the technology will, will, is enabling the, the next evolutionary step in for, for human beings. And having something like Starlink starts already to put something in which is infrastructurally like air, like water. Yes, it can be measured and it could be distributed, but it is fundamentally part and parcel of the, the, the infrastructure of the society. Because either we're going to engineer and chaperone people's engagement with technology, Going forward, it's much more about technology being part of our lives, in fully integrated into our existence, as opposed to in the past something you used to make things to use. And therefore, how is that going to be evolved? It, again, it comes back to, will it evolve on its own? Or will it be chaperoned by people who are then entrusted with making it, it a force for good? I was um, uh, going to uh, wonder if we could talk about Luxembourg as a technology destination, because here we are at uh, well, Mike, ICT Spring. Thank you for being such a great interviewer. One I, one I, <laughs> what I was, what, uh, and perhaps you can help me. No, no please tell you're me. From, you're from here and I'm not, and I'm merely a visitor. Uh, but uh, so, for instance, let me take an ex example. I recently went to uh, Brussels to a technology conference in Brussels. The first time I'd ever been to a technology conference in Brussels, um, and suddenly realized, actually, it's quite a good spot in a way, because obviously you've got the EU commission on your doorstep. Uh, you could have access to those conversations. But I'm starting to wonder if, if Luxembourg might be in a similar, but also equally advantageous position uh, in the sense it's, it's, it's utterly European through and through. It's highly international. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of wondering if we're not missing a trick here. Maybe we should start covering Luxembourg technology startups at least as much as uh, 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 the London and uh, Berlin and, uh, and uh, San Francisco. Do you know, Mike... I think I think I, I see what's going on here. You're flipping you're flipping this interview, but I like it. I like it. Let me sell you Luxembourg. <laughs> uh, no, I won't do that. But I will say you're spot on. Where we have similarities but differences to Brussels. So if you want to know what it's like here, we have of course a load of the European institutions. Of course, it's one of the hearts, along with Brussels and Strasbourg, for the European Union. Um, what Luxembourg has is very close borders. It's a small country and it's uh, often thought of as a great pilot plant. So if you want to test an idea, you also have extremely quick access to anybody in government. Mm. It's, it's like a large family here. So if you want to know somebody who does something, you will get to know them quite quickly or somebody else will know who you this need is to a, know. This is a great advantage. I remember going to Estonia once many years ago and suddenly realizing somebody wanted me to, to introduce me to the mayor. And I, I was like, oh, okay, so I met them like that afternoon. In the UK, in these large countries like the UK, France, Germany, this is just not possible. Um, and so there is a certain advantage in that and having these smaller countries where you can get access at quite high levels. Um, and as you say, sort of as a sandbox idea where you can like play around and test new ideas. I think it's, there's a great advantage in that, in that. Well, I fully agree. Well, Mike, I think you need to have another arm outstretched here to Luxembourg and yeah. add it onto your list. I've never seen Perhaps that on... Perhaps someone will invite me back. <laughs> Perhaps I will. <laughs> no, I, I'm thinking that, you know, you have the tote bags with San Francisco, London, Paris, Berlin. You can add Luxembourg to that list now, too. Exactly, yeah. Actually, I've been doing a lot of tours around Europe. I've been to, recently, in the last few weeks, I've been to Latvia, I've been to uh, Bas uh, Riga, Barcelona, Warsaw, uh, I went to Yerevan in Armenia. Um, so I'm thinking of producing them like Mike Butcher, like tour t-shirt 
uh, you know, with all of the uh, cities That's for your drumming. Off. That's, you know, you, you always wanted that tour t-shirt, but you never knew it would come through the tech world. Well, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you have just a few hours to explore the rest of Luxembourg before you return and bring your tech crunch head back to Luxembourg. I want your final just reflections on what you've seen of Luxembourg, of the Grund, of ICT Spring. Have you learned anything? What have been the highlights for you? I think ICT has been, ICT Spring has been uh, very valuable for us. It's been a, a refreshing and energetic. And um, we, we've seen a lot of amazing innovation and met some very uh, interesting people. I think it was one thing that I would note from yesterday was, was really pretty cool, I thought, was on the main stage there was a, a, a very deep discussion, a presentation on the metaverse, NFT, deep fake, all these uh, issues and that straight away afterwards was an, an also very interesting uh, topic of mechanical engineering and the IOT being used for real world on trucks and so that juxtaposition of those two things really really sort of summed it up for me here it's been very interesting well you've actually mentioned a topic we haven't touched on at all which is deep fake which is so interesting but we'll have to save that for another time Mike to you yeah, um, ICT Spring has been great. It's been a real revelation. I've met some great contacts here. Definitely want to keep in touch. Um, I think there's um, there's there's clearly uh, some some advantages uh, to Luxembourg uh, in terms of how it's going to develop its ecosystem, its access to fintech, for instance. It's it's um, amazing access at high levels uh, all over the EU, which is which is very cool and useful. And I think also um, uh, from the venture capital point of view, for TechCrunch, we often uh, speak to VCs. Uh, there are many VCs based out of Luxembourg, flipping back and forth uh, to, from here to other countries. So th this is a really interesting place. I'm definitely going to refer back to again uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a kind of a, a real international hub. So it's, it's exciting to see that develop as, as also a startup hub as well. Oh, that is so, uh, what a lovely way to end the show today. And just on the point of being an international hub, well, m more than 50% of the people who live in Luxembourg City are international, are expats. I think it's about 70%. I'm sure Jan can tell me. It's about 70% in Luxembourg City who is uh, expat, and 50% of the entire population is expat. And it shows. <laughs> Thank you both so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. The Lisa Burke Show. Welcome back to our TV show here at ICT Spring and a delight to have my final guest of this show, which is a woman. Fabulous that you're here. And I think a lot of people know you, Catherine Barba. You have done so much in your life. Uh, agency director, business angel now, a patron, a speaker at multiple events. You have this huge portfolio career, but it came from a starting point. So tell us about that starting point in your life. The starting point of all this? Well, you know, I don't know what you were doing 25 years ago. What, what were you doing? At least 25 years ago, I was at university doing chemistry. Good, fantastic. Well, I was just starting to work, and it was the very, very beginning of internet in Europe. I had an internship in, in the United States, and everyone was starting to speak about Amazon and e-something. So uh, that was, uh, you know, by chance that I started working uh, in this industry, and 25 years later, I'm still here, and uh, super happy to see what, ha what has happened during all this time. Mm. You are probably one of the few females that really hit that curve at the right time. You really were riding that wave. I I remember it very well because I was just before you, but I was still at university, and I remember the time when email was just coming in. We didn't have these mobile phones no. that we have now. Nothing of the sort. <laughs> Things have changed so much, and so through all of that work, you've now developed this portfolio career. So talk to us about where you are now, the different elements that make up your life now, and which are the most important roles to you? Well, I think what, what defines me most is that I am an entrepreneur, like deeply inside of me. So uh, the whole career, I mean, the different steps where the different companies that have, the different ventures that I've launched. So that's really, you know, at, it's, I'm, I'm about to start my fourth, uh, in a few months, I'm crazy, right? But you know, when you are an entrepreneur, you never stop, I guess. So just you know, along the way, just you look at the needs, what what the market needs, 
can I answer this need? And then you start a business and it works and then you sell it and you start another one. So basically it's been my story. But not everybody knows how to sell or when to sell. So what's your advice? I mean, I feel like I'm starting at the end here, but you have sold three companies. How do you know when to jump out of your baby? Mm -hmm. Well, it's just a matter of uh, you, what, to jump in and jump out is a matter of momentum, right? First you jump in because you really see it's the right moment to start this and you are the good person to do it. And then you develop and then you have opportunities, you know, people who come to you and say, hey, I would like to purchase your company. And to you, it makes, it makes sense, not only in terms of money, but because of the relation that you go and what you're building with this person. So, it's, I mean, chance is a lot, right? Chance is a yes. lot, but hard work is also a Absolutely. lot. Absolutely, <laughs> you know that, right? I know, I know hard work. But um, I want you to talk to us about how you think about these ideas then, because you, you look, you see, you find the ideas. So that entrepreneurial seed inside you, what is it that you're observing when you find the ideas? I don't know, it's a matter of curiosity, I guess, you know? It's just like every day you just read the press, the media, social media, and you see that, wow, there are some customers who have a problem that is not addressed. And you feel it, you think, you start, you know, reading things about the market and seeing that there is, you know, one player missing and you're like, oh, maybe it can be me. And then you test it. You test a lot. You ask questions, you, you, you gather people, you give your idea. Many people think when you have an idea, you don't have to disclose it because, you know, it's dangerous. Who cares? It's not the idea that matters, but the execution, right? Yeah. So it's really like any curious person with confidence maybe could, can do it. And charisma. You have charisma. But thinking about then how you test it, how do you go about testing your idea? Just to give you an example for my, my, my next venture that I'm about to launch in October. It's a school for solopreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs with no employees, which is booming in France nowadays. Post -COVID. I, I had the idea of um, gathering 500 people. I had the opportunity just sending a, like a LinkedIn message saying, hey, do you want to contribute and participate in building my next venture, please register. And then, so I did like 50 Zoom calls, horrible, with 10 people. And I was asking, okay, and, and the profile of the people was men or women who were employees before and then who jumped into entrepreneurship. So my question to each of them was, what did you miss? What, what would you have dreamed to have? Uh, what, was, what were you fearing? And, uh, and so I gathered all 500 answers and that helped me to build my value proposition. That's extraordinarily brilliant yeah. as an example no, to anybody here who's very down on earth, right? It's, it's, very, it's very practical. Well, it's extraordinary to hear that somebody like you in your position with everything that's gone before, you are actually sitting at the end of that Zoom call and you are actually doing that work. Yeah, that's the best. I mean, anyone here in this room who wants to sell things to a customer know that you have to be in direct contact with them. You know, look at them, talk to them, listen to them. And that's the very best, you know, very best way to have a, a product that is matching a, a problem. You've also been a, a wonderful role model to so many female entrepreneurs. What have you experienced that has been good or negative in that sphere as you've moved in these 25 years through four various startup companies moving into your fourth now? What has been positive about being female and what has been a hindrance? If, if I could have the chance to be a man one day, I could tell you because I have no idea what it takes to be a man. It has never, ever been you know, a topic for me. Like, I, I'm, I don't define myself by my gender. I'm just, you know, a doer, like a risk taker, a shaker, whatever. And, uh, and uh, that's it, you know. So, but I, I, I know that around me, many women struggle with confidence or, and there are issues, of course they are. But personally, I've, I've really never experienced them. Just 
do things. I, you know, start to think, do it, and d just don't don't think about it. I think it's very refreshing that you you say that for you it's never been a definition, it's never been a consideration. And I think what marks you apart from people who maybe feel that it is yeah. an issue is that word that you've used, confidence. And there's various studies that show that women yeah. don't always have the confidence to speak up. But you've Absolutely. written lots of books as well. Yeah. So. In your books, give us a brief summary of the information and the advice that you share with your readers. Okay, it was really dedicated to e-commerce and omnichannel. So that was not like, you know, more about confidence, but it was like very dedicated to large corporation who want to go omnichannel. So what does it take? So that's the books I wrote, right? It was really, it's like a guide to omnichannel, how to go there. So. Uh, that's Did you it. enjoy the process of writing? Because that's of a course. new skill as well. It's I love a, it. It's I love writing. Skill. Okay, so that's another yeah. part of your, uh, another pillar of you. So you've yeah. got so many. We're transmitting is a good thing, right? I mean, if you want to take something, that's what I say to my daughter. You first start by giving. So uh, writing something, sharing your experience, sharing your knowledge is the very best way to, to get things in return. Well, it's not always that people want to share their information. Like you said from the start, you're happy to share your ideas with people and you're happy to teach and pass on that yeah. information, which Absolutely. is a really lovely and valuable and open way to be. And you yeah. seem to be such an open person. So Thank have you. you had time to wander around the booths here at ICT yeah, Spring? I, I'm going to do this in the afternoon. It looks great. Looks is there great. anything that excites you about what's happening in Luxembourg that you don't find in other parts of the world? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm going to have a close look at everything related to AI, which I'm really passionate about. And, uh, you know, everything related to uh, mobility. So I, I think there is a lot to do in here. The world of mobility is fast changing. So already I can feel that there's some more ideas brewing in that mind of yours for future exactly. startups to come. So beyond this startup, which you're going to launch in October for solopreneurs, beyond that, will there be a mobility one or an AI one? Well, mobility, you know, I, I'm, I'm serving on the board of directors of Renault. So that's why I have to keep an eye on everything that is related to innovation in autom uh, automotive. So, um, yes. and, and, that's, and that's really fascinating. That's really a business case, you know, this shift, this change of market. It's so, so big. Yeah. So, and I'm also, as an investor, looking at companies to invest in, like who are disrupting well, we have Polestar directly behind us, in fact. Yes, <laughs> so cool. Yeah, there's so much. I know there's a McLaren over there as well. So there's a lot to look at. Catherine, I know you're about to speak on the main stage. Yes. Thank you so much for your time with us at ICT Thank you. Spring. Thank you for having such a, a, great, a great salon. That's wonderful. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank Catherine. you for having me. Thank Bye. Thank you. The Lisa Burke Show. Hello and welcome back. I think a little entourage has followed Tony Parker to another side of the venue, but that gives us a lot of space and it's really nice of you to join us. Carlo Duprel, for people who don't know you, you are head of TTO at the SNT at the University of Luxembourg. And again, for those who don't know, could you explain what that means, that role? Yes, so uh, the uh, SNT at the University of Luxembourg is a research center which focuses on IT research but in uh, collaboration with industry. Yeah? So we, we try not to be an ivory tower of research and you know, develop crazy ideas, but we try to help industry today with the challenges that are unmet today. And as a, uh, with my team, we help the researchers get in touch with companies, you know, set up projects, negotiate the contracts, of course, all the, you know, the administrative stuff that goes with it. Uh, we also manage the intellectual property generated throughout uh, our projects. And occasionally we also create uh, startups. Yeah? So it's a whole, that's a more business-oriented activity of our research center is supported by the TTO. Yeah. And that's extremely valuable for a university to be able to go almost full circle, really, including the IP, which is sometimes very difficult, and then to business ideas as well to get them started up and running into fruition. I wanted to start by talking about the metaverse. We had some interesting talks on that yesterday. I interviewed people from Accenture yesterday and also France Meta. So from your point of view, the work you do at SNT, can you tell us a bit more about your views on the metaverse? Yes, absolutely. So, Metaverse has, uh, no, since I would say six months, become a very hot topic uh, also at the SNT in terms of research. 
uh, there are a lot of touch points where uh, the metaverse and let's say the later on the commercial exploitation of the metaverse will will depend on research done today. Yeah? It starts with high bandwidth, stable, uh, let's say, stable transfer of data. Uh, it's about also proper software engineering. Yeah? So the metaverse will not work if your immersive experience is not great. Yeah? So if, if you have the, the pictures not moving correctly and uh, so this is just purely the hard, let's say, the, the hard technology side to, to things. But then, of course, building a metaverse, let's say, of a city center, uh, you want to do that in an optimized fashion, but how you do that? So can you use drones that just fly through the streets, you know, that record high uh, re resolution images based on which you can then very easily build a metaverse. Uh, then later on, when you have built a metaverse, you do business over it, NFTs, I mean, this is a hot topic, but there's, you know, cybersecurity concerns with F F and, uh, NFTs. So you need to, a lot to investigate in that uh, to make it as a secure, uh, immersive experience for the, for the customers. And we are more than ready to help in that. So we have done uh, previous research projects, not on the metaverse, but where the technologies can be translated to a metaverse setting. So very excited also you know, to see this, this new technology coming up now. Yes, and in fact, you've touched on a few things we spoke about yesterday, which included cybersecurity, privacy, of course. And coming back to the metaverse, another thing we mentioned yesterday was how it can be used in an academic sphere. And uh, coming from the academic world, as you do, we spoke about the idea that you could use it for surgery, for instance, to think about how surgeons... So I know it's becoming very popular in Asia, for instance. Can you talk us through what's happening with the metaverse right now and how you see it progressing from an academic point of view? Yes, so uh, I think there's two things. One is what I said already now is this, this research perspective. How can we develop technologies that are necessary to make the metaverse really happen? The other element is, uh, I would say, also the higher education part. Yeah? So uh, also today, of course, during the COVID, we were in a hybrid teaching mode. But it was not immersive, right? So it's just you know, the Zooms and the, and the Teams uh, channels where the professor was then putting forward, uh, the, the uh, was in front of the classes. But now with the metaverse, you can really make it immersive. Uh, you could even imagine you know, um, traveling in time. Yeah? Maybe not that in a high school, in a, in a university setting, but in high school or primary school. Yeah? You could go back to uh, the old Egypt yeah? and then uh, in an immersive experience, tell, teach the kids how life uh, 2,500 years ago was in Egypt. Yeah? Uh, and also today, uh, this, this metaverse will give, uh, also in a higher education setting, uh, for bachelors and masters, a much more immersive experience, uh, more interactive with the other students, but also with students abroad. So it's, uh, it's a lot of possibilities that are not well investigated yet, yeah? and we, are, we would like to be part of that. Yeah? And when we think about that, I mean, it sounds like an incredible world, but something else that's in a lot of people's minds is how social interactions will shift and change. Uh, what do you think about, I mean, obviously you're a front runner when it comes to IT digitalization of everything, but do you also understand the mindset of people who might fear, might be scared of the loss of what we believe to be currently normal social interactions? Uh, absolutely. When I. You know, six months ago, when I, for the first time, understood the con well, thought to understand the concept of a metaverse, uh, my first reaction was then, man, this is great. I'm afraid. Yeah? So, because it will impact. I mean, the internet has impacted, in my view, in many positive ways, but also in a lot of negative ways, the way we interact. Um, and this will go into the metaverse. And it will actually be uh, exponentially more so. Uh, so, I think there also technology needs to play a role. Yeah? So, it, it cannot be that in the metaverse people are bullied and there's uh, hate speech and uh, I think also research can play a role there to develop technologies that do not allow that and that block that. Of course you need consent of people, I mean, but there, there needs to be, uh, and I think we will find ways in line with the current regulations and also future regulations that will allow that technology will uh, improve the interaction, the social, the social interaction with people. And I'm quite sure that uh, people will still interact directly still. So it's it's an add-on to our social interaction and if we use it um, in the right way and if we teach our kids to use it in the right way, it can be an excellent addition with some problems, but then we need to deal with the problems too, of course. Now, I know that you're dealing at the cutting edge of research and you also have these links to business, so you've got some projects on the go. Can you give us any examples of projects that you're developing that touch on this? Any really 
good ideas that are coming out right now? Absolutely. So we have one of our research teams who developed uh, their own uh, small metaverse just to play around with the technology and then, you know, what could it deliver and uh, have a first instance of really getting involved into the subject. Right now, I come from uh, the Ministry of Economy where we signed the letter of intent with Infinite Reality. Yeah? So the metaverse company that presented yesterday where, where the CEO, Jonah Kunta, came from the US West Coast to uh, present what they do. And we intend to work together in Luxembourg. Yeah? So really set up uh, a joint project in terms of research and innovation to help them establish uh, and uh, develop their, their activities in the metaverse. So, so it's really getting concrete now. Yeah. yeah, he has so many projects, social projects as well, social endeavors when it comes to the metaverse. And he has one of those, amongst many titles on his list of titles, Futurist, which seems to be what your whole group is working towards as well, the future. And so when you think about the future and you're head of this academic research unit, what do you think about on a daily basis when you're trying to instill not only great creativity and research, but also the ethics that are required of all of the researchers at your fingertips? Yes, so ethics is a very important topic for us uh, in multiple ways. One, uh, for example, gender bias. We try in our research projects on IT, but to consider also biases, gender biases, ethical bi uh, ethnical biases, uh, because the AI algorithms that you develop, they can and they will be biased if you do not monitor what's, what they do and how they evolve over time, depending on the data they will, they will ingest. Yeah? So this, is a, this explainability and fairness of our algorithms is an integral part of every research project that we do. So, um, and then at the University of Luxembourg, we will uh, install, or the idea is to install a center for uh, digital ethics. Yeah? So this is really something where we see a, a very large uh, role for the academia to play and to support also the social debates around this topic. Yeah? So absolutely. But this is, this is embedded in, in what we do yeah? and needs to be, play a very important role. Yeah? I really like the fact that you mentioned social debate because we need to bring on board, well, people like me, a normal person who's not working with the research like all of your team are, so that you onboard all of humanity, in fact, if we are to be a part of this metaverse, metaverses that come up as well. So as a final note to all of the people here who are digital natives, what would you like to tell them about the work that you and your team do? Yeah, I think uh, metaverse is really an exciting, an exciting prospect. Uh, for me, it's obvious that this is the, the way to do business in the future. I don't know how many years that will take, five or 10, but it will come. I mean, this immersive experience based on, uh, let's say, intelligent ways of interacting, learning from the past experience, what we learned so far over 25 years of internet, maybe doing it better, yeah? uh, blending it with internet 3.0, uh, web 3.0. So this is way, really where, where the change is gonna happen. And we are very, very happy to be part of that. Yeah? We have a small piece in it, but it's, part, it's great to be part of this endeavor. Yeah? Thank you so much for your time, continued great research at the SNT Department, University of Luxembourg, and continue to enjoy the ICT Spring. Thank you.